Established way back in 1974, Alspec is one of Australia's leading aluminium system suppliers with 14 locations and nearly 600 staff across this great big country. Specialising in the design, testing and supply of commercial windows and doors, Alspec continued to develop innovative and advanced systems that lead the industry in terms of performance. With design, testing and supply and a service offering that is simply second to none, Alspec has become the leading partner for both systems, fabricators and the wider architectural community alike. So for more information, go to www.alspec.com.au. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. And today we have with us, for, for, as, as a first, two guests in the form of Michael Tees and Craig Penton. We'll be explaining to me and all of our listeners what is happening with the world of cladding. Michael Tees has more than 30 years experience in strata law and management. He's a uh, strata research academic with City Futures Research Centre at the University of New South Wales. We holds an Australian Research Council grant to study the impact of large-scale strata on our cities. He has advised industry over the last three years on combustible cladding and building defects in strata. Craig Penton is the General Manager of Aluminium Facade Systems, a division of Allspec. He has worked in the construction industry for 15 years, six of which in facades. Craig has attended and presented at numerous conferences surrounding the issue of combustible cladding throughout Australia. His experience has brought great success in the facade industry with their premium pro-clad suite of products on major commercial and multi-residential projects. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Branko, for having us. Okay, no problem. So we seem to have a bit of a problem with well, with certain types of cladding. Um, after the Grenfell Tower and, and Docklands fires, there was a major inventory across Australia to find out whether, whether we too have some issues with cladding and, and rectification. Um, can I ask, where are we at with, with, with that process? Um, Branko, I might answer that first by saying the, the inventory that was taken um, is still going on. And um, because it's been done at a state level, um, there's no really cohesive um, set of figures available to us. Um, we're seeing in cities like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane reports of between two and 400 buildings at high risk. Right. Um, but there's many more than that. I think those figures are grossly understated. And the reason why they're grossly understated is twofold. Each of the different states are reporting different things in terms of the level of risk. Um, so one state will have it higher than another. So we're not comparing apples with apples. And secondly, a lot of the states have adopted a self-reporting system, which, which requires you to ring up and say, hey, listen, I think I might have this problem. Um, come and have a look at, at me and tell me whether I have to spend millions of dollars to fix it. So naturally, that's um, suppressing some of the figures. So um, in, in short... Um, there is a problem. Um, the size of the problem is very large um, and we're not exactly certain still to this day, some um, seven years after our first fire in Australia, yeah. um, exactly how big that problem is. Um, okay. Um, 
let's step. Uh, wow, something that you, that you said to me really sort of got me thinking. What kind of numbers do you think we are looking at, really, in re realistic terms? Uh, in terms of rec rectification costs? No, firstly, in terms of number of buildings. Oh, um, look, I think, uh, from my perspective, um, Craig will have his own insights, but but from my my perspective, I think there's thousands um, in in each of the major cities. And the reason I say that is that if you talk to the industry old timers, they will tell you that in the first two decades of this millennium, something like 24 million tonnes of combustible product came into this country. Now, if you take a portion of that and say it was used for lawful purposes, for example, signage, right. um, you're still looking at um, enormous amounts of this product being on buildings all around Australia. And, um, and by my calculations, if you take the rectification costs that were um, found to be the case at La Crosse, where rectification has taken place, the La Crosse building in Docklands, you know, that's something in the order of 30 to $40 billion worth of rectification work that has to be done if all of that product has to be removed. Now, um, people will say, uh, the, the, the government officials will say that, that, is a, that that's an exaggeration, um, but I, th I don't think it is. I think, I think you have to account for the fact that that stuff came into the country. It's demonstrably proven. It, it can be proven that it came into the country. It's gone somewhere. It's either gone on buildings or it's gone on signs. They're the only two things it was used for. Um, and so I think the, pro the problem is much, much bigger than, than government is having us believe. So, Craig, is that the um, type of um, uh, numbers that you guys are seeing in, in terms of the, in, in, on the ground in, 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 in Australia? Absolutely. Um, Michael is 100% correct. Um, there's buildings that are coming up on a regular basis and a daily basis, uh, depending on where it's been audited in different states and that and what sort of buildings they are and the need and the urge um, to rectify those buildings. So to really um, put it in short, to give a, a definite number in each state is um, very difficult because an honest number would be to really track down at the end of all of this or when we do get to the end of this, a amount of buildings that have been reclad, but it is an ever-growing number. Okay, so it, it looks some of those figures and, and what you said, Michael. I mean, that was it thirty billion. I mean, thirty to forty billion. That actually makes my eyes water. I mean, that's that's that, that's that's money. That's money we could use for the next pandemic, couldn't? Isn't it? But well, seriously, I mean, it, it's, I, mean I, th I think that's right for your for your viewers uh, for your listeners. Um, you know, there's two there's two messages here. The first is that. Um, there are a serious number of legal claims still to be pursued against engineers and certifiers and architects, and that's the bad news. Yeah. Um, the good news is um, that we now have a new industry in Australia called rectification of buildings, um, which is um, has to be serviced um, and 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 serviced by design consultants as well. Um, the, the the cladding crisis needs to be looked at in the context of a bigger building defects crisis. Because where there are cladding problems, there will almost invariably be water leakage and mould problems. Oh wow! And so when you put those two together, um, there is you know there is a lot of rectification work to be done on buildings that are ten or tw up to twenty years old. Um, 
how on earth did we get to a situation that now we have to spend, as you said, a, a potential of $40 billion in, in rectification? I think, Branko, one of the main reasons um, we've got to this stage is really the lack of knowledge, um, not actually understanding the product, not actually understanding the actual dangers of the product, um, being the um, polyethylene um, core. Also, I think what's happened is with the various authorities and that and different testings that that particular product has gone through, you know, there's just been very basic documentation that has been issued to the likes of architects, engineers, and those documentations being very um, as alike as your code mark certificates. So just a basic code mark certificate with a, you know, a couple of clauses on that certificate saying that the product meets certain standards. Those standards were simply not good enough for high-rise buildings. Those standards were very much based on the performance of the product on a very basic test. Um, okay, interesting. So both of you have said, used two terms which, which, which I've red flagged. Um, Craig, you've said lack of knowledge, and I believe, Michael, you've said something akin to self-regulation. Are they the, do you think that perhaps they are the are two main uh, issues here? I think this. I think the position is a little bit more sinister than Craig. Um, okay. than Craig does. Um, I think the reasons are threefold, and I've written about this recently. Um, in the in the first two decades of of this century, um, three things happened in terms of the building world. The first is that um, in the late nineties we privatized. Uh, we privatized governance. So they, State government started saying to people, um, you, you guys you guys that are building these things, you tell us whether it's compliant or not. So we had self-regulation. So you mean, um, you mean like private... Uh, private authorities, yeah. yeah. Private, private so that's, that started to happen from about 1994 on. Right. Um, secondly, um, we had globalisation. So we started trading, we started importing. The, the patents that, that um, applied to cladding expired... Um, earlier this century, and as a result of that, um, cheaper product could be bought in. Um, and then thirdly, we had urbanisation. So we had the biggest shift to high-rise living that we've ever seen in our lifetime. Um, and those th three things all happened at once. So we had a lot of people wanting high-rise product. We had cheap product coming in from overseas, and we had um, a, a, a lack of regulation um, and a lack of supervision of people. So the building industry was left to its own devices. And of course, it went with the cheapest product. So when the cheapest product came along, it went up. And, and it was that that is the problem. The testing that Craig talks about um, has been um, misapplied. The wrong tests have been used on product and the wrong tests have been applied in the wrong way to the product, which is why we're now seeing, as a result of the lacrosse case, um, liability being sheeted back to the designers. So, you know, in lacrosse, the architect wore 25% of the, of the blame, yeah. the building certifier 33%, the fire engineer 39%, the guy who lit the cigarette that started the fire got 3% and the builder got nothing. So, um, you know, that's where we are in terms of the blame game. Is that, is that what you see also, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when these rectification projects come up, a lot of them are, you know, they point fingers in all different directions and they said, you know, we've done our due diligence. We received the certificate from the supplier saying the product was compliant. 
And once that certificate's been issued to, let's say, the architect or the certifiers and that, that's just, you know, brushed across their desk, they sign, they give it to the developer, builder, and it's fit for purpose. So really going back to what I said earlier on, the pure lack of knowledge and, and also basically reiterating what Michael said, the testing just wasn't there. Um, considering the actual seriousness of it, the cladding actually being the overall envelope of the building and how dangerous that polyethylene core was um, being um, compared to five litres of gasoline um, in one square metre of aluminium panel. Um, so obviously in that with aluminium melting at you know, temperatures that um, obviously exceed, uh, exceed 650 degrees Celsius, it just goes straight through and it grabs hold of the polyethylene and just spreads throughout the building um, at a rapid speed. And if you look at, you know, buildings like um, Lacrosse, that you just see, see how the fire just ran up the facade in such a short period of time. And those are the dangers that were really picked up at an early stage in 2014. And then obviously when Grenfell came along and that, it just accelerated the, the um you know, accelerated things in Australia, just that we needed to take action immediately to, to fix these issues. Um, I'm a bit confused. Why did, in, in the lacrosse um, example, uh, I think you mentioned, mentioned Michael, why did the architect cop such a large percentage of, of the liability? Well, the architect, um, the architect has specified the product that was used and ultimately... Um, accelerated the fire. Um, the, um, there was some um, dispute in the case about whether one product was substituted for another, but the essential, the essential fact is that a, that a product um, that comprised um, polyethylene was prescribed. Now, the architect did that um, thinking that the Australian Building Code standards um, had given that particular product the tick of approval. Um, what the judge has decided in the lacrosse case is that the way the test was applied to the product was um, uh, incorrect. And therefore, um, it was um, a, a product that uh, was unsuitable and not fit for the purpose. Now, the question is, did the architect know or should the architect have known about that? Um, and there's a lot of evidence that people knew about this flammability. I'm not saying the architect in question in lacrosse. I don't know about that. But there was, there's a lot of evidence that authorities knew that this stuff burns and burns quickly and likely kill people as far back as the 1990s. Certainly by 2012, um, there were reports in the minutes of the Australian um, Board of Building Code, they're the people that set the codes, there were reports in their minutes um, warning that the test that was being applied to this product was an inappropriate test and that these products were a risk to people. So it's, it's a question of um, really understanding what the building code is. The building code sets a minimum standard, and, and I think we've lost sight of that. And, and it, also, um, it also behoves people to, you know, to remain aware of what their products are, where are they coming from, are they being substituted, and, uh, and that's the problem. Now, the lacrosse decision is under appeal, so those numbers could change. Um, but I, 
it's a pretty strong judgment. And, and I, if they change, I think it might be a bit of tweaking. Um, there might be a bit of liability found on the builder. The builders sort of managed to pass all of this off so far to the design consultants. Um, but I think one of the real problems we have here for people uh, who are stuck with this product, if we can talk about them for a moment, is that the builders are filing for insolvency right. um, one after the other. If you, if you were building these things in 2010, 2015, and you were building many buildings using the same product and it became very fashionable, um, so, you know, there's lots of shiny buildings out there, and um, uh, as it became more fashionable and more and more people use this product, your liability could be um, many, many um, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so the question comes, how, how much can the builders bear in terms of going back and rectifying this one by one? I mean, the rectification work in strata buildings has barely started. I think, Craig, you've seen more activity in the industrial and in the corporately owned buildings. Yeah. Um, uh, they're certainly getting on with the job. Government-owned buildings are getting on with the job. But we have, in my view, um, thousands of strata buildings that have um, this product on its, on its walls to some extent. And it doesn't have to be a lot of product. You know, another, another fire we've had in Australia, NEO, in Melbourne, less than 1% of that building was covered with cladding, yet, um, yet it caught on fire. So it's, you know, it's, it's a question of, it's not a question of how much of the building is covered, it's is this product there at all? And, um, and so um, the strata rectification market is, is barely begun, barely begun. Established way back in 1974, Alspec is one of Australia's leading aluminium system suppliers with 14 locations and nearly 600 staff across this great big country. Specialising in the design, testing and supply of commercial windows and doors, Alspec continued to develop innovative and advanced systems that lead the industry in terms of performance. With design testing and supply and a service offering that is simply second to none, Alspec has become the leading partner for both systems fabricators and the wider architectural community alike. So for more information, go to www.alspec.com.au. For companies such, such as yours, is this, like, without sounding morbid here, is this actually good news? Well, you can look at it two ways. Um, from the perspective of business, yeah, it is good news because, you know, our business is growing substantially. From the perspective of business owners, corporate owners, government and that, that's not great news because no one really wants to make money off somebody else's, um, you know, it, it's just... Misfortune. It, it's a very awkward situation. I do get asked that question a lot sometimes and I'm saying, yeah, business is thriving and we're achieving and we, you know, doing great things. But at the same time, being at the expense of others, it's, it's not a great feeling. So... I do like to dodge that question sometimes and that, but it is reality. And I think yeah. from our side as a company, our priority is to supply safe and compliant products to the market to make sure that the rectification of the facade is future-proof. Um, so, 
you mentioned fires. Uh, uh, building the, the Neo building started uh, or started, had a had a fire with less than one percent of the of the the, uh, the building was was uh, um, the uh, the so called flammable cladding. Mm. Um, where where are these sources of ignition coming from? And what I'm asking is, what can start this fire? I mean, I yep. you said that the lacrosse one was a was a flick cigarette, which is, yep. wow. Um, but uh, if, if there was ever a reason to stop smoking, there's another yeah. one. But Brinko, there's sixty. Um, there's sixty fires due to cladding in the world uh, right. that I've studied, and I've studied them all. Um, the majority of them have begun because of cigarettes. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Um, there's been some um, internal combustion. Uh, Grenfell was a refrigerator mm-hmm. that short-circuited. Um, there's been some bizarre cases in, in China where, you know, a, a fireworks um, display sent a building up. Um, but the majority of them are cigarettes. And of those 60, and this is a question of then that goes to the seriousness, one in five of those has resulted in deaths. So there's been 189 people die worldwide. Um, so 13 out of the 60 buildings that have gone up have caused people to die. Right. Um, and, um, and so there's that aspect. There's also the property damage aspect, and, and Craig touched on this before. You know, this, this stuff burns in a way that the fire brigade people have never seen before. It goes up the outside of the building and it goes so rapidly. Um, Lacrosse went up 15 floors in 18 minutes. Um, really? That's basically almost one minute a floor. Yeah, it, it, and, and, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the case studies are showing that type of acceleration. So, so once it takes hold, it goes fast. Um, and, um, and that's a risk, of course, to life and property and also to firefighters. Um, the other thing about this is that it, 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 this type of fire results in things falling off and falling onto other people and right. causing spot fires. And um, there's been... Uh, there's a there's been a recent graphic um, illustration of that in the United Arab Emirates. Um, so for your for your listeners who have been designing in the UAE, um, that's where most of these fires have occurred, um, and and also in China. In the UAE, in the in the Gulf. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, something. Where's my report? Something like. Um, yeah, 17 of the 60 um, have come from the United, uh, have occurred in the United Arab Emirates. Um, China has eight, Europe has 13. So Australia's doing well with only just two fires. Um, but you know, the question is not, the question is not if, it's a question of when. Okay. Um, and, you know, we will have fatalities in this country, I'm sorry to say, um, because People are people and they do things in buildings like smoke and um, put IKEA furniture um, up against air conditioning units. Right. And sorry to be unfair to IKEA, but I was referring to one particular case where a um, one of those um, plastic-type wardrobes was, was uh-huh. part of the cause of the problem. Um, so there's a whole lot of reasons why these things are just likely to continue to occur. Um and, you know, whilst Craig's company comes at this as, as clean skins, Craig's company comes at this as, as clean skins. They weren't involved in the sale of um, a product with polyethylene beforehand. Um, and, and so they have 100% um, 
uh, aluminium product, which is the total solution um, to this problem. But we've got, so we've got two things. We've got to address that which has to be fixed. Um, and I'm saying that's a big market and I'm saying it's much bigger than government would have us believe. Um, and it's a very complex market. It's a very complex job because when you take this stuff off, um, you're going to find other defects. Um, there's going to be other defects. And we learn that. We learn that um, from the experiences in New Zealand with the leaky homes and Vancouver, who in the 80s had a leaking condominium problem. Um, and what the experts in those two countries tell me is that um, where you take the cladding off, you then have a decision to make about whether you fix the other defects. Now, in terms of who's responsible for paying what, if government or other people are bailing out owners for cladding, where do you draw the line and say, well, look, you know, 80% um, of the cost of this is cladding, but there's another 20%, which is um, defective uh, water membranes, as a result of which there's mould growing. So we have to get rid of that. Otherwise, we're just um, putting a Band-Aid on a problem. So it's, it's a very complex... The rectification market is a very complex one. Um, as for the future, well, you know, the problem is solved. We now have cladding that doesn't burn. Um, and, and that's what well, doesn't burn um, at, you know, uh, at low levels. So, so I think... For the future, the cladding problem is solved. There are other problems with other products, of course. We've got defective glass. We've got defective um, wiring. We've got defective electrical units. We've got defective pipes in this country. Um, and, um, you know, we're yet to see any major catastrophe from that. But, you know, they, they have been identified by the federal government as, as problems and, and happened on the same um, watch where there was just a lapse of regulatory supervision. Okay, that's interesting you mentioned that. So many, many years ago, I reported on an issue of cables in mm. Australia where the cables were made by a certain local manufacturer. Again, I won't name names because it's not, not the point. But apparently they all needed replacing because of buyer issues. Mm. So you said there are a lot of other things that need replacing. As, as anyone who's renovated knows, as soon as you start pulling off, you know, mm. floorboards or wallpaper or tiles and, you know, the, I guess the, the, next, the next phrase is, oh, my God, I didn't know that was there. Mm. <laughs> um, with the issue with, with the cladding, can other issues make flammable cladding or, or the problem of flammable cladding a lot worse? I guess logically that follows, doesn't it? I mean, if you've got faulty um, electrical switches, which might give rise or increase the propensity of a fire, um, then cladding is certainly going to accelerate that fire. The thing about cladding is, it, it, of course, it doesn't self-combust. Um, it, it needs a heat point, um, and that will come from a short circuit or a cigarette or a heater or something like that. Um, but once it goes, it goes. So, yes, I think if there's other things in the building that are likely to cause or increase the risk of fire, then, um, then that's something that, um, you know, one plus one might equal three. So, 
Craig, um, as Michael mentioned, you guys uh, also spoke, um, uh, are clean skins to this to this whole um, uh, you know issue. So. Yeah, so Elspec um, as a as a company who's been over um, been around for just short of five decades, um, have our cladding division of which we do everything all aluminium. Our cladding division only supplies aluminium product. We we don't supply composite material in any way or format um, or right. bonded laminate materials. So right now in the market, yes, we are um, using our product, the ProClad, um, on projects where we are removing the um, combustible cladding, the polyethylene cladding and any cladding that exceeds certain ratios um, in line with the um, BCA and NCC of um, polyethylene. So there's numerous, there's numerous issues in the industry as well um, because going on to a next level, it's not really just the 100% polyethylene cladding. And what creates more confusion in the industry is you've got certain... Um, fire rated um, cores in between the two aluminium skins that have um, or exceed certain percentage of polyethylene that binds those products together. So it's a real challenge for engineers, certifiers um, and investigators um, when they, you know, they look at these facades and that and it, they have to go and do an investigation. And it's really time consuming in that when they've got to test each, each product on various um, sections of the facade to test for combustibility and compliance within the code. Okay, so I read somewhere that the Insurance Council of Australia, um, in, in terms of at least for New South Wales, uh, welcomed the, the government's uh, three-year um, uh, package to support or plan to support, you know, the owners of high-rise strata title properties to rectify, replace high-risk combustible cladding. Is that three years actually realistic in terms of a timeline? I would say not on present indications. Um, I mean, lacrosse burnt in 2014. Right. And has only just been rectified. Um, I, I don't think work has yet begun at NEO. Um, so we've got the two actual fire cases where the remediation has been very slow. Now, you might say that's because we're coming to terms with it. We're coming to terms with what replacement products should be used. Um, and that might be right. But, you know, um, I've, I've dealt with strata people all my life. It's been my entire career. And they move very slowly in deciding what day of the week it is when they meet. Um, so, you know, um, <laughs> To, to, to then sort of say, well, listen, we've got to spend. And, you know, the average cost per apartment on these things for rectification work is coming up at about $100,000 an apartment. Oh, wow. So if you own an apartment in Melbourne, where I read this morning in the Fin Review, your rent is down 34%. Okay. Um, uh, you know, getting a bill for 50 grand or 100 grand for cladding to bring it back to a fit for purpose, not to improve it, but to bring it back to fit for purpose. None of that's good news. So people don't want to respond um, and they're not responding. So the problem, the political problem government has is, um, apart from being sort of, in my view, responsible for this happening um, or, or largely responsible for it happening, um, there's... There's just uh, zero incentive at the moment for people to get on and replace this product in accordance with the bans that have been introduced. Now, the government's bought in retrospective bans. They've banned this product. Uh, so it has to go. Um, 
but the polit there's no political push really. There's a few infringement notices being issued around the country, but you know they're taking a long time to enforce those and, and for people to respond. So in the meantime, we've got this risk, um, and we've got this frustration for owners that are are dealing with it. I mean, you've got committees who are volunteers um, running round and round in circles, not knowing who to trust, not knowing whether they can have 30% polyethylene or 0% polyethylene. Um, and, and these sorts of things are causing you know, a great deal of distress in, in, the, in, the, in the market. It's, it's, it's a politically very sensitive topic. The building industry doesn't want to really talk about it. The politicians don't really want to talk about it. Um, you know, and it's left with, um, you know, people like um, strata managers and strata committees um, to grapple with this problem without the, without the backup and the science that the institutional property owners have. Um, you know, we've got $1 trillion worth of property in this country in the hands of volunteer committees, $1 trillion worth of residential apartments. Wow. And, um, and that's managed on a shoestring compared with what people would have at their disposal if they had an institutional owner. Um, of, of you, you, it's, very, it's a very deep and dark problem. Okay. You, you, oh, I'm glad you guys want to talk about this if no one else does. Now, mm. According to the Cladding Safety of Victoria Bill of 2020, apparently owners, um, uh, the, the relief was, was, was going to be set, but... They were, it was going to also retrospectively increase the building, the building industry's liability. Um, what does that actually mean? And how does that work? Yeah. Well, again, each state is, is approaching the problem differently. Um, but I think across the board, um, in the three major states, some of the smaller states are yet to respond legislatively at all. But you've certainly seen new laws in New South Wales, Sydney, uh, New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. And all of them um, have added to the burden on building industry and designers. All of them have some retrospective element. Um, for example, in New South Wales, um, uh, the law here, the most recent law here, has, to, has extended um, liability to designers and created a duty to owners of the building, subsequent owners. Now, that's new. In the past, as we saw in Lacrosse, the builder has the liability to the owner and the designers have the back-to-back -back liability with the builder. Um, in New South Wales now, they've said, well, look, if owners are, uh, have been aggrieved by a choice of product, then they can now sue the designer direct and they can go back 10 years. Um, and I just, I, I can't believe that I haven't read more or heard more talk about this. Um, you know, architects, engineers and certifiers need to be talking to their lawyers at the moment about asset protection right. uh, because there will be more claims come down the line. And particularly if builders file for um, administration. Um, so there's, there's certainly been a, a the, the, the legislative response has been let's try and, and turn back the hands of time and make builders and designers liable for these things. Um, that's an expedient answer for government. Right. Um, it, it, you know, and there has been an enormous sort of, um, you know, the blame game has been quite a, quite pathetic, really. 
um, and and has really you know centered on builders saying, well, it's not our problem, it's the designers. Designers saying it's not our problem, it's the government. Government saying, look, we set the benchmark, you've interpreted it incorrectly, and it's and, and it's just gone round and round. Yeah. And <clears throat> these things do. I mean, New Zealand's leaky home did this for about a decade. Vancouver did it for about a decade until people sat down and said, you know what, uh, we have a major problem here that has to be funded. Um, so we'll put in 50%, you put in 50%, someone else and you know do a deal and get the rectification work done um you know, we are a long way off that at the moment um craig where does this leave companies as yours i mean this sounds like a, um, a, a huge issue and a huge problem and wh where does that actually leave you guys well as a company i think the importance is um you know having having the, the resources and um, the skills within your organization to make sure you're meeting the code and make sure you're working um, together with the likes of engineers and certifiers and that um, to, to really put a, put a final, you know, uh, a stake in the ground that material and the quality of material and the systems that are being used on these rectification jobs are correct. Um, the last thing we want to get ourselves into is putting material up on the on the walls that need to come down in a few short years. Uh, and like Michael said earlier on, it's not only just about the cladding panel itself. It's about the whole um, project, the whole, uh, should I say, the rectification process where there's just more to it. And it needs to be, you know, reiterated over and over again that there's needs to be things looked at like the weatherproofing, um, like the actual replacement of the cladding and that, and how it all fits together and it gets done properly. There are jobs currently on the go at the moment around the country where it's just basically a takeoff and replace. Right. Now, which is, which in my eyes and that is really not a solution and those jobs and that could be revisited in a short period of time. Because of the panic of, you know, let's get this combustible cladding off immediately and just stick something else up. But at the same time, have they addressed other issues, like Michael said, like the weatherproofing? Have they had the correct wall buildup to make sure that they've managed any condensation um, issues that can possibly arise in the future? So us as a company and that we focus um, on making sure we've got the right people on the ground. Um, we focus that we have the right um, product and the right service, and then obviously um, just making sure that we're able to meet the standard that is required and exceed it. Can I ask that, um, and I, I know Allspec is, is very well regarded in, in the industry and, and this field, but could there be a possibility that we end up, you know, getting um, companies like, like, we, like we saw with the pink bats, now people, companies being set up possibly not doing the right thing over time? Is that, is that a possibility? Oh, I, th I think that's inevitable. Um, it's inevitable. Um, and again, I think, you know, we learn from history or we should learn from history. And, and I've taken some time to get to know some people that have been involved in Canada and been involved in um, New Zealand. And particularly in New Zealand, the, the, the dodgy rectification companies that, that emerged early in the piece um, caused some jobs to be done two and three times before they were done correctly. Um, and so um, that, that is definitely a risk. Um, 
one of the complicating factors, of course, in retrofitting um, new product to old buildings is scaffolding um, and, and access. It's much harder to work on a live site than it is an empty one. Um, and so there's real risk issues for people. Um, so the, um, the risk that this will be done poorly um, is, is a very real risk. And that's why I think from, you know, from the point of view of architects and designers, um, I think they have, to, they have to become far more alert to supply chains. You know, where is this product coming from? Is the right product going in the right place? And am I working for a builder or a developer um, that cares enough to use the right stuff? Um, now, you know, you, you then get into questions of the whole future of design and construct contracts as a methodology for, for building and construction, which is, um, you know, I think up for discussion as well. But, you know, and Queensland is leading the way in design, uh, sorry, in terms of supply chain legislation. Um, so I think, you know, it, 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 in my mind, it's going to take some time. But what we're seeing is the beginning of... Um, a reform of the way the construction industry has run, and it has to happen because, left to its own devices, it has left. Um, it hasn't covered itself in glory. Um, there, you know, there are a lot. There are, is a lot of bad work out there that people are going to have to fix. So, yeah. something that you guys not only, um, you know, ha have an understanding of, but are obviously well aware of. You know, that not all cladding, not all products. I mean, not all building products. I used to work in the. I used to work in the paint industry many, many years ago, and I know for a fact that not all paints are exactly the same depending on where they're made. So you um, you would have the same sort of, uh, I guess, insight and overview of, 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 of global supply chains, would you not? Yeah. Um, if you're referring to products and that, um, us as a company and that we, we do import material and that, and we do have, um, you know, 50% of our product suite that's, manufactured um, here in Australia by LSPEC um, and supplied to the market as a pre-finished product. Yeah. I think the, um, the main thing for the supply chain is actually the quality control, yeah. making sure that you, that you are working closely with the factories that are supplying the material or, you know, making sure that your factory is in, um, in line and complies with the code. The, there's a lot of, obviously, um, there's a lot of guys that have come into the market. A lot of suppliers have come into the market because it is an industry that um, it's, there's money to be made without a doubt. And there are, you know, remedial companies that have come into the market as well. The most important thing for us as a company and that is that we're making sure that we're dotting our R's and crossing our T's. Um, we don't want to be caught in a situation where we're supplying something that is incorrect or hasn't been tested to the standards or, um, is being told to the market to have a certain, should I say, grade of aluminium, and it's not that particular grade. So we take, um, you know, we take, uh, you know, we focus, should I say, on making sure that those things happen because uh, there is issues out there where things are still to this day going out to the market or being imported in that and said to be one thing and not. I think one of the additional things that people will have to start getting their head around is the value of the warranty that is being given by the supply company. Um, if you've got a warranty, for example, on cladding that requires 
um, your building to be washed um, a couple of times a year, for example, um, that's a virtually a useless warranty because no one washes their buildings that frequently. Um, there's other there's other things about warranties that that you know need to be examined and looked at. And so the strength of a company's warranty, the terms and the conditions and the loopholes and all of those things come into play. And um, and I think that's something that um, people who want to set themselves apart and say, look, you know, we're part of the solution, not part of the problem, um, are going to have to cons consider. Gentlemen, wow, that was both exhilarating, informative, scary, um, yeah, educational. Um, yeah, wow, it's very, very interesting. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here at Talking Architecture and Design. And hopefully this is what, what is what look what sounds like an insidious problem with, uh, with with both of you on the case may well be may well be solved sooner than later. We hope so. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks for having us, Branko. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. Established way back in 1974, Alspec is one of Australia's leading aluminium system suppliers with 14 locations and nearly 600 staff across this great big country. Specialising in the design, testing and supply of commercial windows and doors, Alspec continued to develop innovative and advanced systems that lead the industry in terms of performance. With design, testing and supply and a service offering that is simply second to none, Alspec has become the leading partner for both systems, fabricators and the wider architectural community alike. So for more information, go to www.alspec.com.au. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, and today we are speaking with two very special guests. The first is New South Wales Chapter President of the Australian Institute of